Welcome to a very special Project I'm Speaking episode of Bull Spirals. Project I'm Speaking episodes are a series of interviews conducted with the intention of featuring brave and talented women who agreed to speak up about their creative process, about how they found their unique voices, and how they intend to use those gorgeous voices in the world now. Because we need this. All of us need this right now, more than ever. So enjoy this time and this unique voice while you take in this episode of Project I'm Speaking. I'm Stacy Parrish. Sober, Megan Farrell sings about presence, personal empowerment, and the transformative power of love. She's authentic, thoughtful, and has these sparkling clear blue eyes that look right into you when she talks to you. She's the quintessential old soul. Her latest record, Conversations with Myself, is one of those records where every track touches your heart in some way, and it's impossible to pick a favorite track. I literally wake up with her music in my head all the time. And healing alchemy regularly takes place for Megan when she performs on stage. And we sat down after one such performance at the Lawrence Memorial Chapel during Mile of Music in Appleton this last August. With me today is the lovely and talented, welcome to Appleton, Ms. Megan Farrell. So happy to be here. I'm speechless of this town. It every I, I could move here. I could. Is this your second mile of music? It's my second mile of music, and it's my third time in Appleton. Okay. When were you in Appleton before? I can't remember. <laughs> it was for a house show at some point. It was obviously mile last year. Okay. And Oh, I know when it was. It was halfway to mile. Okay. The fir- for last year's mile that got put off a year. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why it was so hard for me to remember. It was okay. like three, four years ago. Really, really wonderful musicians. You know, I got to come across there like the Outside Voices Band uh, who no longer play together, but I'm really glad I got to catch them that one Yeah, time. nice. Yeah. All right. So we're going to just kind of dive right in. I'm ready. So you and I had a chance to talk oh, before, yes. um, and we have a lot of things in common, but um, there were a couple of things I wanted to ask you that I didn't get a chance to ask you, like when, when we talked before. Right. Um, we didn't really talk about when you were little and growing up. Mm. So where were you born and what, were your, what did your parents do? Um, well, I was born and raised in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Okay. Um, my mom was uh, worked for Blue Cross Blue Shield for a long, long time, and but um, my dad is a was a music teacher. But they met in the community theater uh, community of Harrisburg, and um, my mom was sort of the dramatic actress, and my dad um, conducted a lot of the pit orchestras. Also, an incredible singer and actor, and they did 
what felt like all the shows. So that was literally my childhood growing up was uh, mom and dad, you know, worked during the day. But at nighttime, um, there was rehearsals, whatever show they were in. Uh, that's what they did Got it. for a long time. And, my, you know, yeah. And were you already as a kid? Did Abs- you join yeah, in? Absolutely. I did my first I did a commercial at five and then I was in my first community theater production of Tale of Two Cities. And I played both a boy and a girl because I had short hair at the time. Of course. My mom cut my hair super short at like five years old. So yeah, I was, I got mistaken for a boy all the time when I was I a little. I did too. Yes. Uh, and I was like, one time this uh, older gentleman said, thank you, son. And I was like, I literally am wearing pink nail polish. So. <laughs> um, but whatever. Uh, yeah. And I, and all of through high school, all of junior high school, high school. I did all of the plays, all of the musicals, select choir groups, um, anything I could. That's awesome. Yeah. So what were you taught about, about imagination and intuition when you were a kid? I wasn't taught anything about intuition. Mm. Imagination was definitely placed upon me as sort of something that might hold me back. Mm. Um, or I daydreamed too much or I was too, too energetic and full of imagination. Mm. Uh, didn't really have like my feet on the ground. Some, some considered, but yeah, I always remember just having this lust for life always. And, um, as I remember now, thank you for that question. I'm thinking about it. And I remember being a very joyful kid really mm-hmm. wanting attention. Um, but a lot of times I played imagination a lot, constantly down and we had a basement that where all of our toys were and um, I would dance down there and I would play with my Barbie dolls and I would, I loved art, I loved drawing, I loved uh, craft pottery, like all that stuff when I was a kid. Um, going outside in the trees and just being completely lost in them mm-hmm. all the time. So yeah. nature was a thing early. Yeah, yeah. And it's... Um, it left my life for a long time, and now it's back in my life, and I'm never letting it go. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Yeah. So when did you pick up the guitar? I picked up the guitar, um, let's see, I started songwriting in 2008, which is the year I got sober, mm-hmm. and I didn't start picking up the guitar until a couple years, one year or two years later. Um, I was so intimidated by it absolutely intimidated by it. And um, I'm a very hands-on learner, Mm -hmm. not a student of the books by any means. So I I had one guitar lesson where the teacher was just all theory, 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 and and I just couldn't grasp it. And I I got really down on myself for that, thinking it was being an impossibility. Uh, And then I was in a songwriting group, a weekly songwriting group for over a year. I wrote a song a week for a year and a half, almost. And one of the artists on that suggested... um, that I pick up the guitar because he thought it would help rein me in a little bit. Because when I was just writing a cappella, I would fill in all of the parts of the song that I heard with my vocals, unnecessary runs, notes that didn't really like go. I was just filling the space. Right. And, um, he reached out to me privately one day and he was like, I hope you don't mind me saying this, but I think learning the guitar, uh, will really help you with your songwriting. Uh, and he was absolutely correct. And it really just gave me an outlet for a lot of the, and I have a lot of energy if you, you haven't do. noticed. Mm-hmm. And, uh, being able to channel some of that into one place while the other place is dealing with the vocals and the lyrics was super helpful in defining my songwriting. So how old were you when you picked up the guitar? Uh, 28, 29. Wow, rock on. Yeah, 29 or 30. So, uh, you know, in my 40s now. Um, and I really, oh man, I resisted it. 
for sure. I mean, I would resent it. I would not want to play it because something wouldn't go my way. And Mm -hmm. it wasn't in my bones. Like I'm a performer. That's what I love the most. And the guitar just felt like a chore. And I would get super mad about that. I can so relate to that. Yeah. I just would be like, I want to be better at this than I am. And I would give myself like zero grace. And I would put myself down all the time when I would be on stage. I would like hit a wrong chord or something like that and just be like, sorry about that. Or, you know, um, I suck. Like mm-hmm. I, and I, I, I learned to stop saying that stuff. Yeah. How'd you get through that? I think friends who would just come up to me and, and the type of friends that go, hey, stop saying you suck on stage, by the way. Nobody cares. <laughs> One defining moment I remember I apologized on stage early, early on in my guitar. Remember, it was the ovation guitar that I had. It was brand new. And uh, the host of this show, her name is Susie Mosier. She did like a nightclub cabaret type show at 54 Below in New York City. And that's where I started kind of getting up on stages. And I remember I got up on stage and she came up to join me to introduce me. And I looked down at my guitar and I saw that it was like covered in fingerprints. And I just went, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. My guitar is so dirty. And Susie on stage was just like, nobody cares. Your guitar's not dirty. Stop saying that shit. And I was just like, like in front of everybody, in front of the whole audience. And that was a big, I was like, you know what? You're right. Nobody cares. Yeah. And it really was tied into that us caring what other people think. Mm-hmm. And the more I became awakened in my life, which came through the more I was creative and wrote songs, uh, it really led me to... um those types of, re- of revelations, just epiphany after epiphany yeah, of thing, oh, old ways, old patterns um, of survival of, you know, people pleasing and all that stuff. So, yeah. I mean, with artists, it goes hand in hand. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. No kidding. And you, it's, it's really clear that um, from watching your set today that you no longer operate from that, from that place. In yeah. fact, I give okay. zero Fs. <laughs> You do. I try. Okay. So one of the songs that you played called Worthy of Your Love. Yes. So one of the things that I was really struck by was, so I'm also a performer and I have that, um, I have that thing where if I'm on a stage, I, I am still in a place where I beat myself up, yada, yada, yada. So who I notice are the people who are not appearing to enjoy what's going on. Mm. And um, not that there were people who didn't appear to be enjoying what was going on in the show. But How did you, you know, know that that's where my mind went? <laughs> Go for it. So the song is about relationships and being worthy of love. Mm-hmm. Um, but the line, I'm not afraid of anyone not meant for me, struck me as like, that's a way to get through a moment like that. Yeah. It's a mantra. It's, I am not afraid of anything or anyone not meant for me. Yeah. And that's really, when you come from a place of attachment that I come from, from my childhood traumas, you cling to everything. I just clinged to everything for fear of losing it. And then I would cling to it so much and then end up ultimately pushing it away. And I, I really just wanted to face that part of me and heal it. And when you start to say things like that to yourself, I am, it was almost like, I am not afraid of anything or anyone not meant for me. Because what is really, truly meant for you will stay. Mm-hmm. Can you please say that again, how your childhood trauma had you not attached to things because you were afraid of losing them? Well, it, my childhood trauma was that carried over with me into adulthood was never believing anyone would stay. Anyone would come into my life. Why bother getting your hopes up? Because they're going to stay or they're not going to stay. Yeah. And then I would do, I would change who I was 
to do anything to please them to hopefully get them to stay, but ultimately believing that they won't. It's such a confusing two-part series in my brain of just like how those two things coexist at the same time. I still don't know, but they really do. Yeah. They really do. It's pushing away and pushing away, and but also like needing, 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 and just finding that balance has been a challenge for sure in my life. Yeah. I used but, to call it chasing backs. Yeah. Like you chase after this person that's running away. And then as soon as they turn around, I start running the other way. And then they're chasing my back. And then, yeah. Yeah. And then, you, you know, it's also trying to control. Mm-hmm. It's trying to make people be who you need them to be and not accepting who they actually are. And not even knowing if that person is right for you in your life, but just feeling like you just need someone Mm -hmm. in order to be validated in the world. And I just believed for the longest time that I needed to have somebody in my life, but that it was, that it was never going to happen. And, um, it, it led to some really, really continued adult trauma with some, you know, bad relationships, um, sexual assault, things like that that come Mm -hmm. along from just, putting up with stuff because you want someone so badly to want you. Yeah. Yeah. So that was worthy of your love. Mm -hmm. Um, Place I call home. Yeah. Stuck here in this place. Is that, (laughs) so that was a pandemic song, right? Yes, it was. Yeah. Yeah. Can you talk to me a little bit about that? Absolutely. Um, Yeah. On the record, uh, my record conversations with myself, uh, that song is, the title in this place but the full title is stuck here in this place got it (laughs) and um i moved back home in may of 2020 day before my birthday before my 40th birthday and i moved into my mother's house and it's an old um brownstone in harrisburg and um she had this back room upstairs back room that I just sort of like hid in because it seemed to be untouched by her sadness in her life. And the rest of the entire house was just a complete windows closed, locked, shades drawn, curtains pulled, dark, dark place of cigarette smoke and just really dark sadness. And I'm not putting that any more lightly than what it is. It was hard. And that back room uh, had a little back patio I could go out on. And my mom had some nice trees in her little city backyard. And, but I think after one time I came, I brought her, I had to drive her home from work. And she was just started going right into her alcohol and the things that really break my heart. And and I just remember going upstairs and just feeling like this pandemic, I'm stuck here. Like it was a huge realization of I don't know my hometown. I left my hometown at 18. I have no connection to that city. It's a great city, but it's not my city. Mm. Uh, I don't know what that is yet. But and I remember being up in that room and the sun was shining through and I just had my guitar in my hands and it really just came came pouring out. Um, I think actually that day I had driven her to work and came home and had the house to myself because I would if she was in the house, I wouldn't write. I would just kind of want to be quiet and sort of avoid like just try and be quiet as a mouse so no one knew I was there Mm -hmm. (laughs) or, you know, so she would leave me alone, but you know, just hard stuff. And it came out and then I sent it to my sister and wow, she really like it hit her hard. So Mm -hmm. I I knew I had struck a chord. Um, and I remember weeping when I, when you, when you finally get to the crux of a song where, you know, it's almost finished 
And I think another lyric had come, the lyric at the end of it where it says, um, I'm stuck here in this place like I'm home, surrounded by the ones who love me so. The first part of the song is, I'm stuck here in this place like I'm home, where I don't feel like I belong. And it's, I will always try and turn something around to, to some sort of love goodness at the end of my songs. And, and I remember, but I wasn't thinking about my family when I thought about that. I think about the people who come to my shows. That's so interesting. That's exactly, <laughs> that's exactly what I thought it was. Yes. And I, I had in my, um, I had in my notes evolution to acceptance. Mm-hmm. And it, that's so cool. That's my so acceptance cool. of is I don't have to be from here. Yeah. I don't have to stay here. And it's okay that I don't feel that connection to my hometown and to my family anymore. I'm a totally different person than 25 years ago when I lived there. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm an independent thinker now, uh, a spiritual person, a spiritual warrior. And, um, I, I just, I'm not going back. And it's really hard to go back into those old dynamics, um, that you just don't, you're not a part of anymore. And, um, that can lead to a lot of tough conversations or zero conversations mm. and just tension. Yeah. So when I wrote that song and I, I love playing it and I'm actually so, so glad that I played it today um, because my one of my dear friends, Jeremiah, was in the audience and that's his favorite song. And Aww. he only gets to come to a show here and there. Um, so I was so glad that was on my set list. Oh, good. Shout yeah, out. it came. Yeah. It came through. It definitely came through. And you are you are a wonderful songwriter. Oh, thank and you. your messages. Spiritual warrior is such a is such yeah. a great way to say it. Can you talk a little bit about where that came from? Yes. I love to talk about that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, I was raised in an extremely godless environment. Uh, atheism ra- ran rampant. Um, but on the other hand, I had a grandmother who was Christian science. Um, and uh, my aunt and uncle on my mom's side um, and my cousin's very Catholic. So it was around me. And, you know, when you're the kid that's in the household with zero religion, all of the other family members try to come over and we, we got taken all sorts of churches. Can we take the girls? And then we would go <laughs> oh, to can mass. Can we take the girls? Can, can we give go- the girls God, please? <laughs> and it wasn't, you know, my, and my mom always said too, you know, when my mom was younger and, and sort of was still our mom a little bit. Uh, and she never, she was like, you just, you decide what it is that you want. I'm not going to tell you. Here's what I believe. And of course, we're a product of our environment when we're younger. So I was like, I'm an atheist. I had no fucking idea what that even meant. <laughs> I just said it because I was like, yeah, God, where? Which, I mean, even when I said it, I, I had no idea what is even God yeah. of the idea of that. Mm-hmm. And so when I had my last couple years um, and my, I would say a mental breakdown on my last couple years in New York, where stream two years of constant panic attacks and fear and everything that I was going through um, that was leading me to my awakening. I sought out therapy. I didn't find God there. Um, <laughs> don't really know if I found God yet, but um, I moved to Nashville. And what I did find in Nashville was nature. Mm. And I remember, I'll never forget it. I called up my cousin Daniel. So I quit my job in New York City, pulled out my entire 401k savings. This was like 80 grand wow. that I had worked my ass off for it. And I said, I'm using it because I was going through this revolution and I quit my job waiting tables. I made a record. Um, I went and traveled to see friends. And another thing I did is I went to therapy weekly, every week. I called up my cousin, Danielle, 
I was flirting with the idea of leaving New York City, and they live in Nashville. And I called her up, and I was like, can I come stay with you guys for these two weeks? She was like, get thee down here. Mm. So I went down there, and they've been there for 20 years now. And it was for second day. She was like, I'm going to take you to this place called Radnor Lake. And we went for a walk. And in the middle of a city, and I just couldn't believe it because New York City had been my life. It was my existence. It's how I defined myself. Mm. And I never went anywhere. I never traveled because why would you want to go anywhere else? New York is everything, right? Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> and I didn't know that. I just was living out somebody else's life. Whole nother story. But uh, I get to Nashville and she takes me to this Radnor Lake and we go. I took two steps into that beautiful, protected lake area. And I felt the world come off of me. Mm. And I just finally felt for the first time, the present moment. Oh, nice. And that was, I think, the catalyst. So I just started going. Mm. Every chance that I got to go walk in those woods. And that's where I found silence. That's where I found quiet. And I have not had one full-blown panic attack since I moved, since I left New York City. And that was seven years ago. Wow. And it was in those walks and those quiet where I heard my intuition. I heard my heart space. I heard myself. Mm. All I knew is that miracles were happening in my life. I wasn't feeling panic attacks anymore. Incredible things were happening. The universe was blessing me because I finally made a choice for myself mm. and, and started following what it is I wanted to do. Yeah. And that's when the universe says, that a girl, here's a really cool moment where you're meeting this person who can help you down your path. And then here's not having panic. They give you little nuggets of gifts when you start to really choose yourself and choose the healing path and mother nature. And that led me to meditation that led me to wild heart meditation center in East Nashville, where I started doing group meditation. It led me to Dharma, it led me to Buddhism. And it led me to these philosophies and books and people that all of a sudden came in and were inspiring me and were filling me with love. And I was like, this is what God is to me. Goddess, I should say, mm-hmm. <laughs> in my world. And uh, the moon. I've always had a fascination with La Luna. And so I started to bow down to her and all of that represents and leaning into paganism, leaning into um, earth magic, leaning into more meditation, more self. And it was, that's, that's my whole my whole spiritual awakening and I'm still on it. And sometimes you leave that path a little bit because, you know, life Mm -hmm. and then coming back. Yeah. Changed my life. It was the first time I had put a boundary in place with my family and I moved, I was moving 11 hours away. You know, I had lived a two and a half hour train ride, three hour train ride from home for years. So I was home a a billion times a year. And when I moved to Nashville and and made this choice and um, I, I, I remember through therapy, realizing that I was codependent on my family uh, and that I probably never made decisions for myself. I always ran it by them. Mm. Um, And this was literally the first decision I ever made for myself was to move to Nashville. That's a big one, huge one. When I first moved, I had, I remember having a conversation with a family member and just saying, I need to not speak with you or to you or hear from you for these first two weeks for this time while I'm settling in. And of course the reaction to that boundary was awful. Mm -hmm. And, um, but I just needed to listen to me. 
I needed to finally make it about me and not about anybody else or making sure their needs are taken care of before mine. I was doing that for so, so, so long. And it really is, oh, I, it was a hard thing to do to place that boundary, very scary thing to do. Um, but everything that I have now is because I set that one boundary mm. started right there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and as women, Oh, we're just simply not given, quote unquote, permission to do that. No. And it's so ingrained in us from such an early age. To be that, mothers. Yeah. And to take care of everybody Mothering. else first, yep. mm -hmm. like we're not even on the list. So by the time we're 28, 20, whatever, who knows yeah. at what point it's permanent. But, you know, mm -hmm. yeah, mm -hmm. that I mean, it's one of the things that I learned that in my life that there are certain ways that I can mother. Um being a physical and actual birthing a child and having a mother or being a mother is, is um, not something I desire, but I can be a mother in other ways. Mm -hmm. And I love being a figure or someone that people who want to maybe get sober can talk to or call. Um, I like to sing my songs to people and, and if it helps them, that's cool. That's how I mother. Yeah. That's how I do that. And you have such a nurturing spirit. Oh, and you. energy around you. You really do. Thank you really you. do. And um, can we talk a little bit about... Yes. So um, <laughs> we, she's just like, yes, mm -hmm. which I love. So this project is all about um, how women found their voices and what they choose to do with them now. And what I'm reminded of is your MFR yes. project. Can you talk to me about the MFRs? MFRs Club. Yes. Absolutely. MFRs Club was born of the pandemic. And I got to give credit to my amazing dad for saying if you don't name your fans MFers, the Megan Farrellers or something like that. And I was like, Daddy, you're so right. I was like, it was the best branding thing and, and it just fit. It was perfect. Mm -hmm. And so I started the MFers Club um, during the pandemic when I just needed community. Mm -hmm. I needed to, all of us flocked to our FaceTimes and to our Zoomies and I really just, I knew I had this core group of fans. Um, they are all female, but men are absolutely welcome. And that we just connected on a spiritual level. And I really just wanted to start uh, connecting and seeing how everyone was holding up. Um, how are we doing? I started to find some tools that were really helping me, which was, you know, my uh, journaling mm -hmm. and um, following some of my favorite spiritual leaders and people that inspire me, like, you know, of course, Brene Brown, Eckhart Tolle, Ram Dass. And I just really was like, how can I keep evolving in this healing journey whilst in this pandemic? So when you're in a me the meditation group and things like that, and you have a group talk, you have a subject matter that you can usually start with, and then everyone likes to chime in. And it's such a great way. Uh, it's not like a recovery meeting, but kind of. Mm -hmm. And you know, I didn't get sober through the program. Music saved me and kept me off the sauce. But I just wanted to see if anyone felt like they just wanted to get together. And if I led this group and maybe raised some questions that coincided with what the planets were doing and the seasons, you know, um, they have different meanings to me, winter, spring, summer, fall. And, uh -huh. and I, I just put a word out there and then see if anyone, and let me tell you, first MFRS club was like 35 people. And then the second one was like 16 because it wasn't about music. You know, it, it's a healing 
group. It's a safe space. It's basically like a, a, a women's moon circle over the internet. And it's a way for, I mean, we've got Canadians, we've got Ohio, North Carolina, New York, uh, Pennsylvania, we've got California. Um, and we get together on the new moon and the full moon of every month. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, I've we've for going strong. It'll be two years now in November, so we're coming up on our two year anniversary, and I do it while I'm on the road because I need it too. Right, and we just go and and I talk about like, all right, so here are the uh, the crystals and the you know minerals that are helping me out right now. Here's my favorite new Instagram page to follow that's really going to give you some thought nuggets. I'll do guided meditation uh, a couple times, and then I'll I'll read tarot cards toward the end or oracle cards for everyone. And it's a there's no advice giving, there's no back talk, there's no interruption. There are rules to this safe space. It is a safe space to share how you are feeling. Nice. And you are heard and you are loved and you are listened to and you are thanked for being there. And it's wonderful. That's so great. <laughs> and sometimes I've, I've had special guests on and I've had some of my favorite mediums on, some of my favorite tarot readers come on, um, someone who knew a lot about essential oils. Um, I would love to have you come on as a guest oh, on that first club, my darling. I would love that. just that. came to me, please. I would love that. Yeah, like, I'm on. in. Yeah. I am so in. Your story is incredible. So thank you. So my sister, she has a business in town. It's called Emotional CPR. Oh. And it is very similar to what you're talking about. And one of the things that they talk about is providing a safe space. Like people don't need feedback. They just need a space to be however yeah. they are. Yep. 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 And, yep. and be real and, and authentic. Yes. And and that's one thing I appreciate so much about you that I, oh. I fell for like instantly as soon as we began talking, like... Is yeah. your authenticity. Yeah. We knew right away. We were like, oh, yes. Uh, hey, how's it Hello. going? <laughs> Hello. Hello, Kindred. friend forever. Yeah. Hello, Kindred Spirit. What's up? <laughs> What's going on? Hello, soulmate. How yeah. are you? <laughs> and you didn't you didn't get clean through through any kind of program. Mm-mm. Dig it. Yeah. I, I just, uh, at that point. Well, and, you did. It was music. It was music. Exactly. Uh, my mom was sober at that point, too. And it was still um, she had, she had a stint of sobriety mm -hmm. where we were really hopeful, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know. Um, so, yes, I because uh, like I said, at that point, I still hadn't had my spiritual awakening. And AA for me was not. I, I just hey. right. I wasn't with the higher power yet. I was just making it you know, all. I was just trying to get through each day. I get it. And I felt like I wanted to give myself a little bit of the credit. Uh, yeah, so I have been to a couple. It's actually how I found meditation. I did go. I was uh, dating this guy, and he was like a baby sober guy. And I had been like two years sober, which is still kind of new as well. But uh, we went to this fancy pants in and around NYU University. Uh, there's there's fancy AA meetings, and then there's not so fancy AA meetings. Yep. And we went to this one, and it was a meditation meeting. And that was uh, we sat and meditated for 15 minutes. And I could tell you right now, I have no idea where I went. Nice. I remember he got, he rang the gong after that 15 minutes was up and it was like no time, but yet all the time had passed. Yeah. In the singular moment. And I've been chasing that dragon ever since. <laughs> and I was so, you know, so I'm grateful for that. I am. Yeah. Yeah. 
I get it. Yeah. yeah I'm a meditator too. Sit yeah. 20 minutes every morning yeah. and, and sometimes longer, sometimes when the, when the, you know how that when is. When the time goes. Sometimes the it, chime like, goes and you're like, yes, no, 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 yes. no. I am not coming back right now. Yes, <laughs> it's exactly. not time. No. Yeah. Yeah. What's that saying where it says, if you don't have time to meditate, meditate longer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's, it's really just one of those things and oh, it's just a great tool. Mm-hmm. It's such a tool to help you. So where are you going from here? Oh, where am I not going? Tell, yeah, tell me. Uh, well, uh, you know, I built out a van and I live out of my van yeah. and I tore out of, uh, her name is Lady of Light, Lady for short. And um, yeah, she was something that was born of the pandemic. It's just so, so precious to me. Yeah, lovely. My van is my bestie, my best friend. She houses me. She gets me from A to B. Uh, anyway, love her. And she and I are embarking across on my first ever cross-country opening up tour. It is something I just have been dreaming of my whole life. And uh, it's it's actually happening. Um, That's so bad. Really, badass, really Megan. soon. So we have, let's see. Well, Appleton is kind of picking kicking it off for me. And then we end in Nashville. Wow. A um, couple flights here and there. Uh, I have to leave my van in Seattle for like four days. I'm going to have a panic attack. <laughs> no, I'm not going to have a panic attack. I'm just going to miss her. Really. Yeah, give her a big kiss. Yes. And then when I get off of tour, I go right into the studio for the new record. That's and you so... heard a lot of those songs today. I did. Oh, there was a moment where you got so emotional and oh. it was so lovely. I could kind of see where you were going with that. Oh, that song. Yeah. It's a beautiful day out here. It's sort of like the parentheses. Um, but it, uh, yeah, the lyric is so profound to me where the one lyric is, this feels different than all the times before. And this time different is all that I am asking for. Yeah. And it really like I, I was kicking myself because I hadn't rehearsed. I, I literally just rehearsed that this morning. So it went very well. So I was happy. It did. It <laughs> I went, had my cheat sheet, but it, whatever. <laughs> yeah, it did. It went very well. And it was just so obvious that you were having a moment of just complete presence and <laughs> like, Holy shit. Yes. That's what I it felt that. like. Love that song. I love these new songs and um I'm just super proud of myself. See, this is one of those moments <laughs> where that feels like such a good place to to wind up because oh, yeah. could you have uh, like <laughs> 14 so years much. ago could you have said I'm proud of myself? 5 years ago I couldn't have said that. Mm. Yeah. Is so. that when your awakening was? Yeah. Well, I keep forgetting the two years of the pandemic, seven years ago. Seven years ago. Seven years ago. And you have tears in your eyes. I do. I do. (laughs) I let the tears come and and I let the, any sort of stigma around that go because it's just like more people need to start crying. (laughs) I agree with you. Like we're just watering ourselves, right? Like how do we grow if we don't water ourselves? Uh, 100%. So I love that about you. (laughs) Thank you for doing Thank you. This was incredible. I'm so glad. Oh, you're welcome. However, the stars aligned for us to be here together. Oh, my God. Yeah. Thank you. Well, thank you, Megan. You're welcome. Many, many thanks to Dave Willems, Melissa Freeman, Michael Murphy, as well as the Mile of Music Festival, Lawrence University, and Willems Marketing for helping to make this episode possible. Full Spirals is produced by Boom Arts in Appleton, Wisconsin. Theme music by Helen Avakian. Production assistance by Jeff Ryan. Please remember to subscribe and review Full Spirals on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or your favorite listening platform. Till next time, take care. Take care.